Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Today, in Masechet Megillah, we're holding on the very bottom of Yudalit Amud Aleph, and we're going to learn today Yudalit Amud Bet 14b. We're in the middle of a sukya where we spoke about yesterday that there were seven neviot, there were seven prophetesses historically. We went through a few of them, and we're going to continue on today with Avigayo. Now this Avigayo, she was a very interesting character in the, in the Navi, in Shmuel Aleph. As we started yesterday, David HaMelech was on the run from Shaul who wanted to kill him for many years. So one time David HaMelech was traveling through an area where there was a very wealthy man whose name was Naval. This Naval, <coughs> David sent a messenger to him to ask him, could I have some food because Naval was making a big party. Naval refused and because of that David HaMelech felt like it was a Moreh B'Malchut. He was like an affront to the king and he was approaching Naval to kill him. Avigail was the wife of Naval, and she was a very intelligent woman. And she came to David to plead on behalf of her husband that he shouldn't kill her. Actually, eventually, she gives David food, and Naval realizes, and he goes into like a coma-like state for 10 days, and he eventually dies. And this Avigail ends up marrying David Amelech. That's this is a very interesting storyline in Shmuel Aleph. Very interesting. A lot more than what I just said, but that's the short story. In the storyline, we're going to see from the discussion that Abigail has when she comes to plead for Naval that she prophesizes and that's really why we're bringing this in so the Gemara tells us like this Abigail is the third to last line on Yudal Adam Aleph Abigail dechtiv how do we know Abigail was a prophetess because the Pasuk in Shmuel Aleph tells us it says she was riding on a donkey and she was descending in the Seter Ahar now Seter means the Edi private area of the mountain, or the closed area of the mountain. So the Gemara says, what do you mean from the covered area of the mountain? It should say she descended from the mountain to, to David's camp. What it means is, is that she came to David HaMelech with the question about dam, about blood that comes from the private place. Meaning, she had a plan here, we'll see in a minute exactly what her strategy was, she wanted to catch David in a argument that he couldn't refuse. So she came with Dam as if to ask him a question about Nida. That's what it looked like she was doing. So she showed him this Dam and she asked him a question, Is this Tamer Tahor? It's nighttime. You can't ask questions about Dam Nida at night because you can't see it properly. In order to determine if it's Tamer Tahor, you have to be able to see the color. She said back, You're also not allowed to adjudicate capital cases at night. So therefore, the same way you're not allowed to determine if this is Damni Da, that's Tamer Tahor, you shouldn't be allowed to determine that my husband is Chayab Mita, and therefore at least push it off till the morning. So David HaMelech said, you're wrong, because your husband is a rebellious person against the kingdom. And someone that rebels against the king does not require adjudication. The king can kill him how he sees fit. I'm a king, and therefore I don't need to judge him. So Amrloshi said back to David, It's not true, because Shaul is still around. He's still the standing king. 
your nature has not gone out into the world. Meaning, you are not known to be the king. Yet you can't assess on yourself the status of Mordim Malchut, and therefore you can't kill him. Now, David couldn't refuse this argument. So, Amar said to Avigail, Baruch ta'amechu brucha at. Blessed is your reasoning. <coughs> Blessed are you, Asher kilitani ayom mivo bidamim. That you have prevented me, or you stopped me today, from approaching bloods, and that's a plurality. So what is the idea? Damim tarti mashma, two bloods. What does it mean? So the Gemara is about to tell us, and again, we're going through this at face value, there's obviously a lot more to discuss, but what, David hap- what happened was, David saw her and he was so inspired by her beauty that he wanted to have relations with her. So the Gemara tells us, El milamed she giltat shoka. You have to know what this means, there's a lot of them before she talk about this. She revealed her shoka as her, her thigh. Ve'alach la'ora gimel parsaot, Literally, it means he went based on the, or he moved towards her three parsaot because of her beauty, the light of her, the radiance of her skin. Amarlan, he said to her, listen to me, means have relations with me. Amarlo, she said back, this shouldn't be a hindrance for you. This shouldn't be a stumbling block for you. So this is the key why we're bringing it in, actually. She stopped him from having relations with her. Which is why he said the double bloods, meaning not only did you save me from the the, the, the dam nida, which you showed me, but also shvichut damim, which is killing your husband, which you prevented that from. Both the dam nida and also shvichut damim. But the point is, the reason we're bringing this whole story is zot, the fact that she said this won't be a hindrance for you, that there would be a different situation where David would stumble. What is that referring to? My said the Batsheva, the story of Batsheva, where he took Batsheva, Batsheva was the wife of Oriachiti. We're not going to get it too much. But Umaskana Achihave, and that was actually the conclusion. This was the element of prophecy we find in, in this woman, Avigail, because she predicted a future event that David would indeed stumble with Batsheva. Even though we know the Gemarang Tuvo tells us, if you say he made a mistake, you're making a mistake, you say it's chata, it's not true, but there was some element of error there. And then she continues and she said to David, my master's soul should be bound up in the bond of life. When she was leaving David, Amrali, she said to him, Hashem should be good to my master. And you should remember your maidservant. Amr of Nachman, Rav Nachman says, It's like people say, A woman, when she converses, she holds her spindle. Now, what it means in the context here is, she was planning for the future. Her husband was still alive, and yet she was saying, you'll remember me. Meaning there was a degree here that she was planning is if my husband should die, that I'll be available for marriage. And actually that's what ended up happening. Ikidamri, a similar expression people say, Shapil va'azil baravuza, the goose stoops and it walks. Ve'enoi metaifi, but it eyes gaze, it, its eyes gaze afar, look afar. Meaning to say is, she was already predicting about the future. But the point we bring the story in is to show she was a Nevi'ah prophetess. Now, Chulda. Chulda was the, was it the second to last one in the list here. Hold on. There's another one, I think. After, after one, one more. Esther. Esther, exactly. So Chulda. Where do we know Chulda was a prophetess? So this is in Melachim Bet. Tichtiv Melachim Bet. The Pasuk tells us like this. That the Jews at the time... Let me check out the story right here. Yeah. 
Yoshiyahu was the king of the Jewish people at the time, Yoshiyahu HaMelech. He instructed repairs of the Beit HaMikdash, and when they were repairing, they found a scroll of the Torah that was rolled to a very scary section of the Torah about the destruction, about the Chorban. So they wanted to send a message to the Navi to figure out what is Hashem telling us with this finding. Now, as we're going to find, it would appear that they sent the message to Chulda instead of Yermia. Now, Yermia was the great Navi of the time. Chulda was a prophetess, but she wasn't the leader of Neviim at the time. So the Gemara says, you see, the fact they sent her showed that she was a Neviya. Nonetheless, it's going to challenge this because if Yermia was there, why would they have sent the message to Chulda and not to Yermia? So the Pasuk says, these people sent a message to Chulda asking what is the idea of this of this uh, this finding that we found the Torah scroll rolled to the Tochacha to the scary sections of Galut. When did she leave? After uh, Abigail? This was after, after yes, 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 yes. Chulda oh, okay. is after Abigail because Chulda is when there was a Beit HaMikdash already. David HaMelech was before the Beit HaMikdash. Okay. Right. And then Esther, this is the last Esther one. Esther was the last it's one. Be chronological. It seems Sarah, to be chronological. Okay. It seems to be chronological. Yes, Sarah, Miriam, uh, yes, yes, I would say okay. they are chronological. Let me just see. Take a look one second. Um, yeah, Sarah is first. Miriam was the sister of Moshe. Tvorah is the Shoftim. Hannah is before the Beit HaMikdash, right? right. Abigail is... Mm, yeah, I would imagine that they're chronological. Yeah, they seem to be chronological. Right, they do seem to be chronological, it's true. Okay. So the Gomer means they sent this message, clearly she was a Neviya. But the Gemara asks, If Yermia was indeed the standing prophet, the significant prophet of the day, so how was she able to uh, prophesize in his place? Meaning, how could she step up and be involved in prophecy in this regard, it's almost a disrespect towards Yermia, who was the the, pre the preeminent prophet of the time. Second, yeah. The Gadol Navi. Exactly, <laughs> Ex exactly, literally, yeah. Navi Gadol, I guess. Chulda was a relative of Yermia, so he didn't have any issues with her doing this. He, it was a personal favoritism. Yoshia, so the Gemara says, okay, so I understand how she was able to prophesize and accept this instruction or accept this question. But for Yoshia Gufei, why would Yoshio, the king, send this message to her instead of sending it to Yermia? So, this is a very interesting idea. Women naturally have more mercy. Now, there is an element of interpretation of prophecy that is personally based. So therefore, if they would have sent the message to Yermia, perhaps it would have been a harsher interpretation. Mm -hmm. Sending the message to a woman, to Cholda, would have been naturally a more merciful interpretation. So Rabbi Yochanan says, no, actually, Yermia wasn't there. He was busy on a mission. Very interesting. In the days of Sancherev, the, the king of Ashur, the ten tribes of the northern region of Israel, Shomron, of Israel were exiled. So Yermia, excuse me, the Navi went to bring back those ten tribes. He was busy on a mission, and that's why they sent the message to Chulda and not to him. 
How do we know that he indeed brought those ten tribes back? Because the Pasuk in Yecheskel tells us, It says, The seller to his sale, it will not return at Yovel. Now, this is Pasuk in Yecheskel, which seems to be after the ten tribes had already been exiled. <clears throat> yeah. Rashi says this was between Galut Yechonia, which is the first wave of exile, and the destruction of Yerushalayim, which we spoke about before. So what the Gemara says is like this. He was saying that Yovel would be Batel in the future, mm-hmm. that Yovel wouldn't continue to exist for fields to return to their original owners. The problem is, Efsher Yovel Batel, it was already Batel, because we know if you don't have the majority of the tribes in Israel, so then there's no Yovel. And he's predicting in the future it's going to be Batel. How could the Navi predict that it's going to be Batel? It teaches us, it must be, Yirmiya brought back those ten tribes, and then Yovel restarted, and only in the future would it be again nullified when the Jews are exiled. And the Gemara continues and tells us, Yoshiyahu ben Amon Malachaleyan. Yoshiyahu, the king of the son of Amon, ended up ruling over the ten, all twelve tribes. Like it says, Melachim Bet, Vayomer. This is in a story there. It says Yoshio went to a place of Beit El and he said he saw a certain marker of a grave. And it says, He said to the people there, What is this marker that I see? And they said to him, The people of the city said, This is the grave of a person, of a man of God that came from Yehuda. He read certain things that you've done on the Mizbeach in Beit El. Now, Beit El is an area in the jurisdiction of Yisrael, of the northern region, which is not under Yehuda, where Yoshio was the king. Mm-hmm. So the Gemara says the fact that he's having this conversation, implying that he also ruled that area, it must be he ruled over all ten tribes. What is the relationship with the king of Yehuda and the northern region of Israel? Yoshio ruled over them, meaning he eventually was a ruler over all twelve tribes. Rav Nachman says you have another source that uh, the Jews had returned, actually, the ten, twelve tribes, because it says, Gam Yehuda shat Yehuda, the harvest will come back to you, there'll be a great harvest, when my nation returns from, returns from captivity. Uh, this is a reference here that Yehuda is a reference to Yoshio. Kitzir is that the Jewish people will return back, meaning is that he ruled over the, ten, the other ten tribes as well when they returned in the days of Yermi. Good morning. Fine. What was it? Esther. Let's go to the last the one. Let's finish up here. Esther, he woke up a little late today. Esther. Esther was the last of the seven prophetesses. Said she prophesied as well. So where do we know that she was a prophetess? It says, We know that when she was going to go in and plead on behalf of the Jewish people, she went in with a plan. But it says, She went in on the third day to the king. And she wore malchut. Now it doesn't say she wore clothing, royal clothing. It just says she wore malchut. So the Gemara says, Really it should have said clothing of royalty. Rather what it means is that she was encloaked. She was clothed with divine inspiration, with Ruach HaKodesh. Ketivach, and we'll speak more about this later. Ketivach, because it says here, Batilvash, it says she was enclosed. Bechtivatam, and it says elsewhere in Devrei Yamim, Beruach Laveshat Amasai, a spirit enclosed Amasai Vigomer, meaning we find that this idea of being Lavush, 
dressed could be referred to Ruach HaKodesh. Amasai is what? Amasai was a, a person, I believe, in the army of, it was a soldier, in the army of, I think it was David HaMelech, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but it says he was in clothes, Amasai, it was a person's name. Am Rav Nachman, says Rav Nachman, Lo ya'a yehiruta linashi. This is a very controversial statement, you could say. Prominence is not appropriate for women. Women shouldn't have positions of power. Why? Because two women here who were prophetesses, by the way, and they had these high positions, and their names are despised. One is called a bee. Devorah is a bee, actually. Mm-hmm. And one is called a weasel. Cholda is a weasel. A weasel is this little creature that uh, lives in the ground. That's why there is no woman called Cholda. Cholda, exactly. <laughs> they don't name their name. But Devorah, you have a lot. But now we find, where do we find that because they had these positions, seemingly, even though these were Tzidkaniyot, these were Neviyot, these were right, very righteous women, but we do find that they acted in a way that was haughty, so that their position got to them. I mean, what I have, what I would just wonder is, you find many men also, because of their positions of prominence, they also act in very haughty ways. So, comes to know exactly, it. what? It comes with it. It comes with it. So, so the, but the Gemara relates stories where it seems like yeah. they acted in a haughty way because of their position. So it says, Zibor Taktiva, regarding Devorah, it says, Vatishlach Vatikra, sorry, yeah, Devorah, it says, Vatishlach Vatikra Barak. So what happened was, she wanted to send a message to Barak, who I believe was her husband, but he was also the general of the war. And it says she sent a message to him, meaning she sent a messenger to relay a message. She didn't go herself, which would have been more respectful. She did not go herself. And Karkush Daktiva, regarding Chodda, it says, It says, say to the man, She should have said, say to the king Yoshiyahu. That would have been more appropriate. She said, just say to the man. So we find that, to some degree, they acted in a haughty way, and therefore, you say prominence is not ideal for women. To know exactly what the pshat in that is, but okay. Amar Nachman, Nachman says, This Chulda, this prophetess, was a descendant of Yehoshua ben Nun. Because it says here by uh, by Chulda, it says Ben Chorchas. It calls Chulda the descendant of Chorchas. This person. And it says by Yahushua, but Timnat Cheres, he was buried in a place called Timnat Cheres. So Cheres is, is used in both contexts. It sounds like they were related. The problem is, Rav Ina Saba asked a question to Rav Nachman. The Brayta says, that there were eight Nevi'im who were also Kwanim, who descended from Rachav Azona. We know Rachav Azona was the woman who protected the spies of Israel that Yoshua had sent in, which was Kalev and Pinchas. Mm-hmm. And she hid them from the king of Yericho in the beginning of Sefer Yoshua. Oh, yeah, yeah. So eight Nevi'im, and she eventually converted and married actually into the Jewish people. We'll see in a minute. But she they was were, a prostitute, no? She was Zona, a prostitute. It's a debate if she was a prostitute or if she was a innkeeper. It provides Mizonot. Food, food. It goes two, two shitot. Could be both also. So eight neviim and, and, and koanim descended from rachavazona. The Elohim. These are the neviim and uh, koanim. It says, and now these are father-son combinations. Neriah and Baruch. So Neriah was the father. Baruch was the son. So these are all koanim who were prophets also. Viseriah and Machasia. Uh, and also, Syria was the son, Machasia was the father. 
Yermia Chilkiya. Yermia was the son, Chilkiya was the father. Chanamel Vishalom. Vishalom. And Chanamel, who was the son, and Shalom was the father. But the point is, what do you see? Also, Chulda was a descendant of Rachav Azona. Because Ketivacha, it says by Chulda, Ben Tikva, it uses this word that she was the descendant of Tikva. Ketivatam, and it says by Rachav, et Tikvat Chutashani, that she lowered the spies out of the window with this red uh, rope. So you see it used the same word tikva. But what's the kasha? So you see that this Chulda was a descendant of Rachav, and also you just finished saying that she was a descendant of Yoshua. So Amar Leitz, Rav Nachman said back to Rav Eina, he says back, Eina Saba, Amrila Patya Uchma. Either he said Eina Saba, or he said black vessels. Blackened vessels is, was a positive expression, actually. Meaning to say is that uh, you were the son of great ones. I believe that's how this is explained over here. One second. Klishachor. Um, yeah, the shevach. I believe it was a positive thing. It, I think it was, it was a positive connotation, though. Between the two of us, we support. We can conclude shmaita. The conclusion that we say as follows: De Igario, what happened was Rachav converted. Psukim in Yoshua referred to this. Vinasva Yoshua and Yoshua ended up marrying her. And what ended up happening then was Chulda is a descendant of both Yoshua and Rachav Azona because Yoshua married her, and then Chulda was their descendant. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sign of humility. Humility. Yeah. The black vessels. Black and vessels. Yeah, black and vessels. Black and vessels. Says the Gemara, but wait a second. Umi havule zarali Yoshua. Did Yoshua really have children? Vachtiv. We know the pasuk tells us in the Yamim nun beno when it records the descendants of the the generations. It says nun was his son, whoever nun's father father was. Yoshua beno. Yoshua was the son of nun, and the it stops there. It doesn't say there were any more sons. So the Gemara says it sounds like Yeshua didn't have descendants. My answer is no. Benilo havule bantan havule. He didn't have sons, but he did have daughters, and Chulda ended up to be a descendant of Yoshua. Okay, we'll stop here. We'll pick up with Tetzvav tomorrow. Okay. It's a tremendous lesson in the power of Teshuvah. But No, no, about Rachav. Is that the Psukim in Yoshua tell us that she was, like you said, a prostitute doing the worst kinds of Averot for 40 years, the Psukim tell us. And then, a moment later, as Rashi explains, she had some sort of a prophetic vision already. Mm -hmm. It's like, what happened there exactly? So the answer is, one t if a person really does teshuvah, they can change things mm -hmm. in the most drastic... They can transform. transform. It's totally transformative. Mm -hmm. changes the person altogether. And that's what the... She ends up marrying the Gadol Ador, the leader yeah. of the generation. Yeah. You see the, the drastic distinction that yeah, exists yeah. there. When Hashem puts His hand on you... Yeah. You can become anything. Yeah, now that requires a tremendous amount of effort. Exactly, Obviously, yeah. it's not you like... You do uh, half of the way, but uh, if exactly. you do it, you know... Exactly. He will do the second half. Have a good day. Yeah, totally. Thank Great you, Rabbi. Akasha.